2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. We should really just spend the whole pod discussing injury time at Spurs and Atleti. Absolutely hilarious slash frustrating endings, depending on who you support and whether you like VAR or not, and whether you know the laws of football. Harry Kane's late winner would have put Spurs through against sporting, but it's not to be and they have to get something in Marseille next week. It is worth asking again why they don't bother playing until the second half. At the Wander, Atleti get a dodgy penalty after full time to keep their Champions League hopes alive. They miss it, miss the rebound, and then miss that rebound rebound. Extraordinary. Elsewhere, Liverpool booked their place in the last 16 with an ultimately straightforward winner. Ajax while Rangers are on course for the worst group stage performance ever. Bayern Munich are better than Barca, who've accidentally pulled the Europa League lever. Elsewhere, Australia are the first country at the World Cup to really call for lasting change in Qatar. And the Aguero sure is up for sale. All that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Nikki Bandini, welcome. Morning. Hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rushford. And hello, Lars Sividson. Good morning, Max. Um, so let's start then at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Spurs 1, Sporting Lisbon won. Um, uh, Harry Kane scoring with 15 seconds left of injury time, a four minute VAR check. An offside. Adam says, I'd, I'd like to hear Larry Silverton's take on the <laughs> Kane offside and the fact that players, commentators don't seem to be well-versed in the rules of their profession. Uh, meanwhile, AG82653288 says, You're a journalist, question mark, and you don't investigate the rules? Look it up, mate. Spend tomorrow doing it and apologise for your stupidity. Kane is onside by the rules. The VAR refs made an error. Call it
3: out. Uh, Yeah, with with apologies to the angry boss in question, I mean, that isn't exactly accurate, is it? Uh, Listen, I would usually on this occasion sort of uh, get up on my high horse and and bang my drum and go, learn the laws of the game, bozos. In fairness... I think this was a sufficiently unusual situation that I kind of want to give people slack for not being entirely clear. Mainly just because uh, I'm a very egotistic and self-centered person, and I was kind of confused. And if I was confused, then everyone must be confused because this is how the (laughs) world works. Uh, But I I definitely had to double-check the laws of the game and fire off uh, a DM to my my refereeing acquaintance and ask, hang on, (laughs) just to make double sure. What laws applied, and and because because you just don't see it because it's an instinctive thing. The thing with the ball being played backwards, it's such a sort of it's right, and I was so used to that. Well, it can't be offside then, because I mean that's just kind of how geometry works. If the ball is played backwards and ends up with the guy, then they can have been. If, but of course, it was the deflection from the defender, and yeah, no, it was offside. So, so I guess there, are, as as always with these things, there are separate discussions taking place. Uh, one thing is. The goal was offside. It was very understandably missed by the officials uh, in real time, uh, but VAR cleared it up, so so justice was done. The sporting nearly had uh, a point uh, taken off them by a refereeing mistake, but but VAR uh, rectified it. But but I, but it is obviously very unsatisfying. I think for everyone to have a match end like this, I don't I don't think anyone really enjoys that happening, whether you're pro or anti VAR. So on an emotional level. You know, I I completely get the people who feel that this is just wrong and this is not what the sport should be about. I'm I'm very sympathetic to that argument.
2: I think Nicky, um, you sent a tweet which I thought was really interesting, and it does sort of it it, it does split between the match going fan and if you're watching on television, right? You're watching the goal show on BT, and actually, when that has happening at Spurs, and you have what's happening at Atleti, it's actually like brilliant television right it's hilarious it's ludicrous if you don't have a dog in the fight or you're you're not so exercised about football that it defines how you feel for the next two weeks it's brilliant (laughs) entertainment if you're in the ground it's really annoying
4: yeah no completely I mean I I, I was sort of not meaning to diminish anyone's feelings about it I was just sort of reflecting because I had I'd been watching more of the, the Napoli game but switching over to the goal show at the end of the night and it was kind of perfect timing because you had these two moments of high drama happening. You had half of their studio watching one of them, half of them watching the other one. Both ends are sort of whooping and shrieking as things are happening in real time. And it is, it's is—it's—it's dramatic telly. And that doesn't mean that it's right. That doesn't mean that that's what I think is good for football. I'm just saying that there's this contrast because I've been in those stadiums. And when you're inside the stadium and you're waiting and sitting and standing and just nothing's happening, it's incredibly frustrating. And, and this isn't an original thought. I, I still don't understand why in football they can't, and I know people will get angry because VAR itself feels to a lot of people like something that was borrowed from American sports that was bad. But if you're going to do it, if you're going to have VAR, why can't you do what happens in American sports more often where the referee, after a decision gets made, steps up into the microphone and says this is why the decision was made because i think another element of the frustration that happens inside the stadium is no one gets an explanation like you just get this is a goal this isn't a goal or this is a penalty and we're all coming back onto the pitch as happened to atletico no one no one clarifies things for you and i think as a fan inside the stadium that's such a frustrating experience
0: i would argue that I'm not saying that shouldn't happen, but I think even if it did happen, people still wouldn't accept the explanation.
4: That's probably Because true.
0: at the end of the game last night, you had the referee explaining to Eric Dyer and other Spurs players why it was offside, and all he was getting was Eric Dyer screaming, but it went backwards! <laughs> but it went backwards in his face. And even on, on watching it unfold on Twitter, where, um, what is it?
2: Dale Gordon uh, from Dale, No, Dale, but, Dale, Dale Gordon da, is uh, a Norris Norris city centre forward. He's also <laughs> the VAR expert. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I was actually thinking, am I getting Dale Gordon? Is that the, the, the woman from Flash Gordon? Or <laughs> that's <laughs> Dale Arden. <laughs> so anyway, um, Dale... Dale Johnson. Dale Johnson. Apologies, Dale. Dale. Um <laughs> So Dale Johnson was very, very patiently explaining exactly why the decision had been made and why it was correct. And there were still Tottenham fans, like not only saying he was wrong, but abusing him and accusing him of being an Arsenal fan. For the record, (laughs) Dale is a Sheffield Wednesday fan, I believe. But um, so even if you do get a calm, reasoned explanation, there are still, and, and I think you should, there will still be tens of thousands of people who won't have it. They won't agree with it.
4: I I did think there was a particular sort of extra like, element of what Baz is talking about in that Tottenham sort of scene that was happening. Because, look, before VAR, you still got decisions that upset players and players would surround a referee and shout at them, right? Like, that's not new. And... I've always felt like there's a certain sort of futility in that because a referee never goes, oh, you know what? You're right. I'm changing my mind. But you understand it because there's this moment of emotion and everyone's sort of boiled up and, and has to sort of let that out somewhere. But it, it felt like because this one was such a long one in the Tottenham game, like the VAR just amplifies and exacerbates that in such an unhealthy way for everyone on the pitch. Like everyone is sort of venting and he's there going, listen, I'm waiting for someone to tell me something in my earpiece. And there's just more and more space for that anger to boil up. And then when a decision does get made, inevitably that anger is is at an even higher level.
2: When I was uh, uh, captaining my amateur team, there was a player who'd get angry all the time and join in fights. So as soon as there was any kind of melee, I would make him, he, he had to sit down on the ground, cross-legged, fingers, fingers on lips, otherwise I just wouldn't pick him. And it really worked. So maybe all the players should have to sit down, fingers on lips. I do wonder, I do wonder if... I still think, though, and I said this, and and, and I still think that if the VAR decision ultimately goes your way, fans don't care. So I think about Tottenham at Man City in that Champions League game when Sterling was just offside and City scored and they all celebrated and there was this massive delay and then it was offside by, you know, Sterling's heel or whatever and Spurs fans were delirious. I think about when Cambridge scored against Newcastle in the FA Cup, they scored All the fans in the ground celebrated. Then there was like a four-minute VAR check. And then the goal was given, so they celebrated again. right? So basically, it's just, if it goes for you, even if there is a long delay, it's great. And if it goes against you, it's bad. And that's sort of like (laughs) life, isn't it? It's just life. It's like, if it's good, it's good. And if it isn't, it isn't. And I know some people hate it, and some people love it, and you may never fix it. But that's just, you know... It was the right decision. And I think the question, Lars, um, unless you wanted to come back in on VAR, is why didn't Tottenham turn up until 55 minutes into this football match?
3: No, I just want to ask the guy in your five-side team or the guy in your Sunday League team who got angry with everyone all the time. Was it Antonio Conte? <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't. And
2: actually, you make a good point. We should, we should talk about Conte saying afterwards, Conte saying, I don't see honesty. This creates a big damage. I hope the club understands this. I think the club has to be strong. I repeat, the situation creates a big damage. It's really unhelpful, right? And we were critical of Klopp when he got really angry. We need to be consistent. Conte got angry, got sent off. But then to come out afterwards and sort of try and invent some sort of conspiracy is just a bit rubbish, I think.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, We've said it before. It's Even if the manager has a point, it's damaging and unhelpful. And, and I, there's no question it filters down, and that's why referees at grassroots level get, get as much abuse as they do and why there's a shortage. But when you're arguing something and you're completely in the wrong, then it's I think it should be in some way punishable. And, and Conte is a great man for telling other managers they shouldn't complain and whinge, but he, he does an awful lot of himself.
2: Yeah. Um. To the game itself, Lars... You know, Spurs didn't turn up until the second half. There were boos from Spurs fans at halftime. Isn't it worth have giving it a go in the first half? Like, that is also part of a football match.
3: Yeah, so they did get sort of better eventually when they panicked. When they panicked and when I thought uh, Sporting kind of lost their nerve a little bit in the second half. And Ruben Amorim looked like he'd kind of lost the will to live towards the end. That was very, <laughs> very strange behaviour by the Sporting manager, who's otherwise, you know, seems a very talented guy. But... I, I just, there's something about the, the Antonio Conte sort of plan, which is you sort of, you, you sit back, you, you draw opponents in, you, you're very aggressive and defensively solid when you do engage with them. And, and then you, you kill them on the counterattack. That's like the four-step plan. They're currently only doing two of those steps. Like, they are sitting back correctly. That's very good, yes. <laughs> they are drawing the opponent in. Very good. But the whole thing about being very solid and aggressive, not really happening. And then on the counterattack, absolutely not happening. And at that point, the, the four-step plan becomes like a, a two-step plan, which is not very... It's just not very good. And it's happening uh, week after week after week. I'm, I'm not necessarily of the opinion, uh, as are many other Tottenham fans, that oh, they need a more creative midfielder and they need to dominate more. It's just, well, you've appointed Antonio Conte. You're not going to do that. That's not what he does. But they need to do, his plan needs to be better executed. Like, and, and there is also a question to be raised. Antonio Conte's way of playing necess- necessarily puts a lot of pressure on your defenders because if you're going to sit back as much as you are, you just will have more situations in a game where defenders have a chance to mess up, basically. <laughs> There's there just more things throughout the 90 minutes where defenders have to solve uh, issues. And and I'm not sure Tottenham have enough defenders that you fully trust to, to not screw up over 90 minutes of football for, for for that to be a good approach to the game. I'm not sure. so I, I have my doubts over the whole operational concept at the moment. Uh, but... It is what it is. You have appointed Antonio Conte. He's going to do Antonio Conte things. I just wish they did it better.
2: Worth saying that Sporting had two brilliant chances in the second half, even when when Tottenham were on top. And then Eric Dyer has two amazing chances to 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 put them through. Um And a wonderful moment for Marcus Edwards, right? Who started his career at Tottenham, and you know this is a huge moment for him, and and he took it with that goal. Arguably, Luis. Could have done a bit better. I mean, my favorite moment of the game, Barry, was Emerson Royale trying a no look pass and smashing it out of play when actually he could have just played the, he could have just passed the ball looking like that. He didn't need to look the other way. It's like, come on, mate. Like look 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 in the right direction. Like get the part off. Oh.
0: Anyway, Were you Barry. not entertained, Max?
3: <laughs> i was actually to be there i was uh, are we uh, entirely certain that this was a no look pass like as a piece of skill and not just emerson <laughs> just not looking in the right direction because for well, him. I mean, it's
0: entirely possible max you kind of glossed over Lloris there is he becoming a bit of a liability for tottenham i thought he that i mean that was a great goal from marcus edwards but he didn't really get a, a right good hold of it i, I thought it was a soft ones let in and it's loris has been making a lot of mistakes i actually had to check because i couldn't think off the top of my head who spurs backup keeper was it's fraser foster and maybe
2: i think it might be time for him to get a run in the side yeah possibly i always feel like Loris, even though he's like you know he's won world cups is and is a sort of decorated footballer quite often makes mistakes i don't know Lars.
3: well that was always the thing about him uh, throughout his career is that he's been a very good goalkeeper you know world cup winner all of this and, and and he's consistently very high in all the sort of shot stopping metrics and all this sort of stuff but, but then he makes three or four hours a year but you just kind of get all accepted uh, but the thing is last sort of year 18 months I think I'm right in saying that his overall performance has declined as well. Like he's not digging them out of as many holes as he used to. And the errors seem to be coming a little bit faster, thicker and faster than they used to. And then the, yeah, I, I do think if someone has been as, as a, as faithful a servant to a club as he has been in terms of being, yeah, being there for a very long time, being good for a very long time, you should be, there's some patience should be afforded if you have a down period, but uh, it is a slight concern at the moment, I would say.
2: Um, so look, Spurs top of the group on eight points. Sporting have seven. Eintracht Frankfurt have seven, and Marseille have six. That's because Eintracht Frankfurt beat Marseille two one. Um, uh, Lars, do you? How, who do you think will progress from from this group?
3: I'm starting to worry that Tottenham might not do it. I mean, I'm worried if the sort of yeah, they've they've hit a terrible run of form at, at the worst possible moment in terms of the Champions League. They... <laughs> Listen, man for man, they're a better team than Marseille. And Marseille have, you know, had this hilariously bad record in the Champions League over a long period of time. So they should be able to go there and win. But it's very hard to look at Spurs and have any confidence in them doing doing anything right now. So I I think there's a very real chance that they messed this up.
2: Let's go to Group B, where arguably, Nicky, the the end of Atleti Leverkusen was more exciting than the end of uh, Spurs Sporting.
4: Yeah, well, I was absolutely bonkers Um, the way this game ended because it's two all, right? The game is, is two all and we think we've reached the end of it as in like the full time whistle goes, you've got the sad shot of, of Atletico players sort of trudging off. Um, The music comes on in the stadium, like genuinely it's, it's the end of the game. And then you find out there's a VAR review and then the VAR turns out to be a penalty for Atletico and Atletico need to win the game or they're out. Not going through to the last sixteen, so they, this is a uh, sort of beyond the 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 last gasp re- reprieve they've been given. They come on to take a penalty, which Carrasco takes. It's uh, saved. Then the the rebound comes to sell. He heads it onto the bar. So you've already had a penalty save, and then the rebound going onto the bar. Then it comes back to another player whose shot is blocked by Carrasco who took the penalty on its way into the net. <laughs> so <laughs> you can't ask for a more dramatic end to a football game than that. I mean, it literally had ended. they <laughs> were out. Then they came back on and they got three bites at not being out. And somehow at the end of it, they were still out.
2: Um, Lars, it's, it was wildly brilliant, wasn't it?
3: It was. I was very happy for the Leverkusen goalkeeper, Lukas Radecki, because he's been on a bit of a weird one this season. He's made some really bad mistakes, uh, but he is a good shot stopper. And I just love he's hes a profile writer's dream, this guy, because he, he was actually born in, in Bratislava in what was then Czechoslovakia. Uh, But as a young child, uh, his family emigrated to Finland because his father played semi-professional volleyball. Uh, So they they moved to Finland to play semi-professional volleyball, which just isn't a thing that happens to to a lot of people. Uh, And and then then he grew up...
2: When you break that down, it's a weird sort of, you know, it's not like sitting down with the family going, I've got this great job offer. It's paid millions of pounds. It's like, I can get 50 quid a week to play volleyball in Scandinavia shall we go yeah all right
3: (laughs) yeah it's a bit of a strange one so then he grew up in in Finland and he is apparently by all accounts like the life and soul of the Finnish national team dressing room he's a big joker in the dressing room he's a big beer enthusiast after they'd won a game the Finnish national team once they wanted someone in the crowd handing him a pint and he just grabbed it and drank the whole thing Uh, so he's 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 a great character and he's had a bad season so far for Leverkusen so seeing him have a great moment made me happy Uh,
2: yeah the Leverkusen sort of players roared in Carrasco's face, a little bit sort of key on Van (laughs) Nistelrooy at the end of that. I, I wonder what, you know, Atleti going out, right? I sort of feel like we've been asking this question a lot, Lars, about, you know, is this the end of Simeone's Atleti? You know, are they a different Atleti? They're no longer the Atleti that we remember. I'm slightly annoyed that we won't have Atleti v Porto with something on it in the last game with Pepe versus all of Atleti. But 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 where are where are Atleti now?
3: So I think it seems I'm. Mean, you're going to have to have uh, ask Sid about this at some point. But my impression is that Diego Simeone won't come under serious pressure almost regardless of what happens at the football club because of everything they've been through with him before, because of the way he's elevated the football club. But it's not the first season now where we look at this squad and say, you have a lot of really good players. Like, why are you not playing better football? There, there's some really, really good attacking players in this team. One of them being Joao Felix, who just can't get on the field. I mean... It, it, whether or not he's lived up to his transfer fee, that's a kind of a separate issue. But he is a very talented young man who can do things. And in a game like this, when you absolutely have to win, you've got a, well, one whole half of chasing that last goal. You bring it, bring in Kuala Felix in the eighty seventh minute. Like, what are you afraid of, man? And, and it's just, I, I'd be enormously frustrated. But again, we talk about they're not being patience with managers and, and all this sort of stuff. I think he's done enough for the club to kind of be entitled to pick his, his moment of departure and to be almost completely uh, isolated from criticism because where were they before he came in, right, is a question you can ask. But but my God, you get really frustrated with, with the team sometimes just because of the, all the quality that's there and you're just not seeing it.
2: Uh, Porto won 4-0 in Bruges in the other game, see, the first goals that, that Bruges have conceded in the Champions League, they've had a brilliant run. They're through, Porto are through, still up for grabs, who wins the group. And it is still between Atleti and Leverkusen, uh, who get through to the Europa League. Um, I, I wonder if actually, you know, most teams will be looking at Bruges or Porto and thinking, this is who we want in the last 16, It probably is.
3: It probably is. I I think it's great that the Bruges have done as well as they have, but you have to be realistic and look at what the field is and think that yeah. Whereas Porto have this thing of they all they pretty much always get out of the group stage and they almost always go out uh, in the first or second round afterwards. I do think. You shouldn't be too pleased if you draw Porto. I, I think there's a, that, that's a meme waiting to happen. If the draw happens and you get Porto and you have a sort of smug club director nodding, yeah, this is fine. Like that fine. That, the, the, the footballing gods will look at that and there's enough stuff in this Porto team to trouble quite a few opponents, I think.
2: All right, that'll do for part one. Part 2 we'll begin with Liverpool's win in Amsterdam.
1: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Buro's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium durable materials including stain and scratch resistant fabrics so they're not just comfortable and stylish they're built to last plus every single Buro order ships free right to your door right now get 15% off your first order at buro.com/acast that's 15% off at buro.com/acast
2: Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Football Weekly Live is on the 17th of November. Still a few tickets left for Earth in Hackney. Uh, Me, Barry, Lars, Ellis, James, um, Mrs. Rushton, Lars didn't quite get Lars Sivetson, but I thought she was close enough. I hadn't told her who was on the live show when I did that video. Are you happy to be uh, Lars Silverton? Until the live show, or, or do, you, do you? I mean, protest? I've been called
3: worse, uh, not by not by the current Mrs. <laughs> Rushton. Uh, in fairness, but uh, no. And I, listen, it is a struggle uh, having having my name. Uh, I'm very frequently mispronounced, but I don't take it personally. I've just learned, for instance, like if you're reserve if you're booking a seat at a restaurant or something, it's just easier to book it in the name of Dave or something to just sort of save time. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) I'm just kind of tired of spelling my name (laughs) Uh, very very
2: Aspilicueta of you so there we go me Barry Lars Ellis James uh, streamed around the world as well so wherever you are and wherever you're listening right now you can watch it go to theguardian.com slash guardian live we are looking forward to seeing you so look Napoli were already through we'll get onto their victory over Rangers in a second Liverpool needed a point they got three. They won 3-0 against Ajax. And Barry, uh, Connor McNamara, uh, the commentator, saying, nice touch by Liverpool wearing green in honour of Ireland beating England at the cricket. <laughs> um, but, but, but look, they, they rode their luck at the start of this game and actually then it was quite comfortable. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Ajax
0: missed two very good chances in in before Liverpool scored. Uh, Stephen Berghaus hit the post when the goal was more or less gaping just Alisson to beat um Alisson on his 200th appearance for Liverpool by the way and Dusan Tadic, uh had a, a shot saved by uh oh it was blocked by Trent Alexander-Arnold and um, and he probably should have scored as well but um and after that it was pretty comfortable for for Liverpool but
2: not as com- the score the match wasn't as comfortable as the scoreline suggests I suppose Michael says, would Barry have scored the Darwin Nunez miss <laughs> um, uh, where he, he hit the post where it seemed... I couldn't work out if this miss was actually easier than the Shakhtar one from yesterday. It doesn't look as ridiculous, but because he's the ball's in front of him and he could just... He had a lot of net to aim at. Anyway, Barry, what do you reckon? Um, I probably wouldn't have been in position to miss. That's a, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a very, very humble of you.
0: It's. I have to go with the old question. Have I had a pre-season or not?
2: Let's <laughs> <laughs> so see if we can get you to do pre-season at Liverpool next year. Oh, God. Uh, Lars, any thoughts on this game?
3: I thought it was kind of... I thought it was interesting to see them line up in kind of like a... 442 diamond type of thing Because I think we're all I say all, I think some of us are looking very closely at Liverpool at the moment and are kind of intrigued to follow Jurgen Klopp's sort of attempts at at figuring this team out because it's not functioning the way it used to. Uh, Players aren't pressing as much as they used to and that means some of the things they were doing before just aren't working anymore. And there's been a few changes of formation recently and and the latest that they tried now was kind of a diamond shape in midfield with Fabinho as the holding midfielder. Harvey Elliott and Henderson either side of him, and actually Firmino as a kind of a 10 that's what it looked like to me anyway and I, I, I don't think I'd seen that before and I thought it was interesting looked a bit in the first half as if the players weren't super familiar with the whole setup and, and what they were meant to be doing but, but maybe this is a way to get more players into positions on the field where they're comfortable and to cover some of the flaws I still think against stronger teams a midfield diamond where your right side is Elliot and Trent Alexander Arnold is uh, is ripe for, uh, for 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 opponents uh, to be picked off. I I, I wonder, but uh, but yeah, the the Klopp sort of tactical uh, looking for solutions uh, the, the thing continues.
4: It's been such a sort of odd group in terms of the sort of brittleness of of teams in a certain way because Ajax want, began this group with a four nil win over range, and you thought, okay, it's been an interesting group. You know, Liverpool just got thumped, but it's it's almost just. Yeah, sort of an escalating scale of of bad defending at times. It's felt like, and Ajax have not been good at the back at all, and that's sunk them. But of course, Liverpool weren't in their game against Napoli either. So yeah, there's there's this sort of it's been a strange group with with lots and lots of goals. Some of them well earned and brilliant, and also quite a few that just defending hasn't been great.
2: Yeah, and uh, I mean Napoli will win the group unless Liverpool win what five nil or something in the in, in, in that other game, which seems unlikely. Napoli, the highest scorers in this. He has Champions League group stage, 20 goals in five games. They're only behind PSG, who got 25 in 2017-18, and Bayern Munich, who got 24 in 2019-20. And this is an amazing stat, if it's true. G- Giovanni Simeone uh, becomes only the second player to score four goals in his first four Champions League games after Diego Simeone. Is this real? I'm blaming producer Silas if it isn't accurate. <laughs> I, don't remember Simeone. I can't imagine Diego Simeone scoring four goals in his first four Champions League games, but who knows?
4: That bit does sound unlikely, isn't it? I mean, Germani Simeone's introduction to the Champions League has been something magical. I mean, this is a guy I'm, I'm sure I talked about at the time who got a tattoo when he was a, a teenager, sort of the Champions League tattoo, because he was going to kiss it when he scored his first Champions League goal, which he did. And now, look, he's scoring, it feels like, constantly for them in the Champions League. And... I've probably banged this drum already plenty on this podcast, but Napoli's success this season is a great triumph of good recruiting, of good summer planning. And they've gone from a team that was completely reliant on Victor Osimhen up front, who's brilliant, so a good player to rely on, but completely reliant on him. And then when he wasn't there, suffered this huge drop off to a team who can now go well, when Osman isn't there, they had Raspadori scoring goals in the league, playing with this false nine that was quite a different style, like genuinely changed their shape to here we are in the Champions League and we can keep throwing Giovanni Simeone on who keeps, despite being not that tall, winning headers, getting on the end of crosses in the middle is a real sort of able to fill that, that I guess, quite classic number nine role in a way that can be quite surprising at times. He, he's he been brilliant and he's the third of their strikers. Um, This team is is really... I don't know, I, I don't know what the limit is for this Napoli team. I, I'm, I'm really excited to see where they go in the second half of the season in the Champions League. Of course, with everything this season, I think we all have to put a great big sort of warning stamp on everything, which is the World Cup's going to happen and everything's going to look different afterwards. But right now, I look at this Napoli team and I think, who are they scared of in this competition? I don't think they should be scared of anyone.
3: Diego Simeone did, in fact, score twice in his first two games in the Champions League in 1996. Uh, for Atleti versus, initially he scored twice against Stoia, Stoia Bucharest, and then he scored twice uh, against Vidzev Ludz or Wuje. I think is the pronunciation of that.
2: I, I do have an update on the stat, which makes it slightly less impressive. He becomes only the second Argentinian to score four <laughs> goals in his first <laughs> <laughs> Champions League games. Uh, even that, still, that does narrow
3: it down a bit. <laughs> it's
2: nice at, at Christmas on Christmas Day they can both celebrate those you know, those stats, and at least Simeone can be involved. By going to watch his son in the Champions League, can't he? Um, how's um, how's Tangi and Dombele doing for, for Napoli?
4: I, I mean, he's doing okay. He's he's kind of um been assigned in that midfield as, as the backup to Anguissa, which I, I find a bit odd because they're not that similar, um, in, in terms of the way they play. And he certainly doesn't have the enterprise of Anguissa. he certainly doesn't have the the ability, um. I would say to to be his man and and to to carry the ball forward as as effective as Anguissa does, but he's he's doing all right. He's he's certainly got a role as as I guess almost the fourth man in the three man midfield, like someone who's who's going to rotate in, who's going to be um, getting games. But he's he's not tearing up trees. He's he's a he's been a useful squad player so far.
0: He's not tearing up trees, but he did spank a shot from distance off the
2: woodwork. Uh, last night um, uh, Barry word on Rangers I mean it's a similar situation to Celtic As it's, it, it, in fact Celtic showed no, promise not. didn't they <laughs> <It's> mor- <laughs> it isn't Celtic showed promise you know Rangers it's just a
0: step beyond them isn't it it's been pitiful to be honest and you know I get budgets and all that but they, they've just been walloped week in week out I can't, it can't be good for any morale in team morale fan morale and if they lose next week they well it's between them and victoria prison who can also uh get the the title for worst ever group stage performance um mm. so but but they can also still qualify for the europa league <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so <laughs> it's true um yeah but I, it's it's not good enough i, I give celtic a c plus i'd, I'd a, a D for for Rangers, if even, maybe even a D minus.
2: Yeah, so look, they did turn up for all the games. You know, they didn't like they didn't flunk off, <laughs> did they? They didn't skive. Um, they are five defeats from five, a gold scored, one conceded, nineteen. Uh, Victoria Pilsen are five defeats from five, scored three, conceded twenty. So yeah, so Rangers with a bit of work to do to avoid uh, that particular wooden spoon. Uh, Victoria Pilsen, bottom of that group which has been won by Bayern. Inter's coming second, Barcelona third, and Barcelona out of the Champions League uh, second year in a row. Um, let's talk about Inter first. Rob says, what is it about Inter Milan and restoring tired old former Premier League players to their former glory like a Lombardian repair shop? Um, which is a great question. Mkhitaryan, Dzeko, Lukaku, all on the score sheet.
4: Yeah, well, of course, Nicotarian was at Roma last season where he won the Europa Conference League with with Mourinho, and and he's sort of been an uh, an extra body for this Inter mid- midfield this season. Um think is, I, I I really like it in Dzeko. I think he's he's someone who perhaps always got a little bit underestimated in his career and 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 not given the credit he was due. And, and yeah, look, he's thirty six years old. He's not going to be. Um, the best player in the world, or something, but he's a really useful player to have, and he he really is very selfless. He's very, um, he's a real enabler in that in that Inter team, and he's look, he's he's not first choice, right? When Lautaro and Lukaku were there, that's their first choice attack, but it's 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 a pretty nice option to have. And I don't know, I was really impressed with Inter in this game. I know it's just pills and who have been dreadful, but I think there's been so many times, and Inzaghi talked about it after the game when Inter specifically and probably Italian clubs in general have gone into these sorts of games late in a Champions League group stage and you would think okay well they should control this from here and they fluff their lines they've stuffed it up but last night they were they were totally in control of this game there was never a sniff of of anything going wrong really um and yeah there was there was a few really good performances in there Dzeko was one of them I thought Di Marco the the fullback and, and his crosses were really really strong um Mkhitaryan obviously got the goal it was it was a good performance from Inter and and I think, I know that it's easy to sort of go, oh yeah, it's, well, it's Victoria Pilsen. But honestly, very, very few people in Italy with how Inter started this season gave them any hope of getting out of this group. So to do it with a game to spare and to knock Barcelona out, is it's big news actually. It's big news in Italy.
2: Um, and actually Lukaku, he's been injured for a while. It, it was such a Lukaku goal, wasn't it? And given his sort of trials and tribulations at Chelsea, you just really hope that it works for him.
4: Yeah, it was, it was interesting listening to Andrea Onana, the goalkeeper, after the game, and he was like asked about Lukaku, and he almost shrugged off and said, Well, I don't know, I'm not surprised by that. Lukaku is Lukaku. Of course, he's going to do that. What excited me was seeing this, how the stadium got energized, seeing him back out there, how the fans responded to him, and he responded to the fans. And there is this sort of dynamic of Lukaku at Inter that. It's an unfinished story, right? It was an unfinished story when he went to Chelsea and, and it feels like he's come back there with this desire to write another chapter. And um, yeah, it's nice to see him out there and, and, and getting a chance to do it again. Uh,
2: Tom says, should Real Madrid petition to drop into the Europa League so they can play elite teams like Barcelona and Juventus every week? Yeah, um, Barca, um, they were relying on Pilsen, obviously, That wasn't something to rely on, was it, Lars? And and, um, Sid's written a great match report just saying how flat they were. And and Bayern were brilliant in this game or were were ruthless, I guess.
3: Yeah, they're really, really well set up to play on the counter this season, Bayern, because they've got so much speed and trickery going forward. And whereas occasionally in the Bundesliga, we've seen teams kind of sit deep and they struggle to find the openings. But of course, against Barcelona, that was not a problem because (laughs) Barcelona were defending really high up the pitch. And they were not doing that very basic thing of like, you have to have pressure on the man in possession. If there isn't pressure, you have to drop off that that was not happening. So 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 Barcelona, Barcelona were just picking them off on the counter. And I do think like injury plays a part here because no Christensen, no Araujo. Uh, Pique has obviously declined maybe faster than people were anticipating. But, but having spent all this money, it is wild that they go into a big chance Champions League game with, like, Marcus Alonso at center half. And it's like, how, how does that happen? I mean, surely you've mortgaged your whole thing. Like, presumably the idea was to build a squad where this this wouldn't have to happen. Like, this seems very strange to me. But Hector Belrin not having a great night either. Yeah, it just didn't look very good. And it's really weird, the story that Xavi brought them in to watch the Pilsen game first. Which, which I guess is the idea was that if Pilsen could have done it, then they'd be really fired up for the game. And and if they didn't, then it didn't really matter anyway. But, I mean, it, it was never going to work, was it? And it's kind of like watching them. They, they watch their own failure first, you know. They, they have 90 minutes to contemplate what a mess they're in. And then off you go to play against Bayern. I mean, that is not a very strong motivating tactic, I don't think. Um uh, seems very weird. And, yeah, they've... Listen, it would be disingenuous to suggest that they're not a better team than they were at this point last season. They, they clearly are, right? But but you have to ask yourself, they've pulled all these levers and, and for what? Like They're, they're going to end up going out, well, they've gone out early in the Champions League like last season and there's a fairly good chance they finish second in, in La Liga like last season. So, so so what have you actually achieved with all this reckless spending is is, is the question that well, springs to my mind certainly.
2: A wonderful pass from Serge Gnabry for, for Sadio Mane's gut. I mean, it's absolutely inch perfect, laces sort of on the volley. What a wonderful kick of a football that was. Um, and then Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting scored the second. Kieran says, can the panel please spend a minute on the career of Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting? How did he ever end up at Stoke? And really, how good is he? <laughs> he's, won every, he's won everything by the Champions League in France and Germany. I need expert opinions on how to feel about him as a footballer. How how should we feel about Eric Maxim Chippermoting? Well, my recollection is, and I'm far from an expert, uh, this is far from an
0: expert opinion on Eric Maxim Chippermoting, but I didn't even think he was that good at Stoke. And I no. remember being absolutely astounded when PSG came in for him. Yeah, and I'd just being baffled that he, he'd rocked up at PSG when they were making all these marquee signings and... I won't I haven't followed his career too closely since then but yeah I, I wouldn't imagine Stoke could well Stoke could probably afford him because they've got their owners of so much money but uh, he probably won't be rocking up there anytime soon again I don't think
4: he's started more than 10 games in a season since he left Stoke so he's not been a main man anywhere. he's just been what
0: a life what a <laughs> life is is he the the modern day Christian Karambu because remember he he played for all the big clubs One, he must be one of the most decorated players in the world in the history of the game
2: and it wasn't particularly good I mean he wasn't terrible obviously but so it feels like to me like the he feels like the outfield version of the old third keeper you know like he's the he's he's very much the kind of Rob Green of you know of the outfield player well, it's a harder thing to do as an outfield player you might actually have to play occasionally but like you know it is all right. Scored at the new Camp. Can't knock <laughs> it, can you? I think he missed a really easy chance. It was either for Stoke or PSG. And so you were just like, I think maybe it was at PSG. And then you were all just like, he's there? What on earth is it? How has that happened? But, you know, um, Adam Craft from The Athletic tweeting, that's five of the 12 teams originally signed up to the Super League. Barca, Juve, Athletic, Manchester United, Arsenal, not in the Champions League knockout rounds. AC Milan and Spurs also in the balance Going into the final round, had quite a few questions. Um, Kieran again saying, "Look, um, Barry and some others on the panel have maintained they could easily predict 13 or 14 of the 16 teams into the knockout stages." Did everybody know that Barca, Juve, Atleti, Ajax weren't making it out? Except me, is this season a positive endorsement for the group stages? Have you been have you been engaged by the group stages, Pat?
0: Um, yeah, yeah, I have. I mean, it depends on how you look at it, I suppose. Are you judging games on their individual merit or just the group stages as a whole? Obviously, we've, there were dead rubbers this week, there were dead rubbers next week and or the next game week, and they're a bit of a waste of everyone's time. But yeah, I, I wouldn't have predicted that those big
2: teams would have gone out. Um, Nicky, a word on Juve, uh, who I think you said last time were, are garbage, and they <laughs> appear to still be garbage.
4: Yeah, I don't know what there is to say about uh, Juventus at the moment. They are not interesting uh, to watch. I suppose, well, that's that's slightly unfair, isn't it? Because they got interesting to watch right at the end of the game when they decided to to send on all of their kids and actually suddenly it was like, oh, hang on, you've got some young players who maybe you should give a chance to. I have nothing positive to say about Max Allegri. I think he his time is up there. He's become someone who's, who's got, it's that classic story of one well, in Italy, they call me di Scaldate, reheated soup. He's gone back there and it isn't good. And the club is in an incredibly awkward spot because he's on 7 million euros a year and they can't afford to, to fire him. But it's also, of course, this classic Juventus position to say, well, we don't make a decision until the end of the season, but right now it's, it's bad. And I think one of the things that's most damning of it is just the lack of of character being shown by the the senior players in the team, the the things as simple as the number of tackles they're making. They're barely making tackles in games, and you think if you can't get that minimum level of effort, if you can't get that minimum amount of commitment from people, then then what's your platform? Having said that, laying it all at Allegri's feet is wrong. The club has been chaotically run, I would say, probably ever since Pepe Marotta left, and that was sort of this perhaps moment of when the adult leaves the room and the kids are allowed to to run the show and and it isn't run well. And Ronaldo is the great folly, the one that's going to get pointed out as the sort of most obvious thing. But in general, squad recruitment for years has been this chaotic approach of, oh, this person's available and we think it's a nice deal. And what you've ended up with in this season is a lot of that money's been spent on players who aren't even there, like Paul Pogba, who was supposed to be the big transformative signing of the summer and, and isn't on the pitch. I, I do think the end of this game gives you some things that are exciting. Um, I, I definitely do want to see more of Samuel Iling Jr., who's, of course, this English player who's popped up, I think even on Italian radars, it feels a bit out of nowhere and has played really well, I thought, in his cameo in this game and had a nice cameo, very short one against Empoli as well. But overall, the trajectory of this Juventus team right now is is a bit grim.
0: Um, Speaking of Ronaldo, Nikki, is there any truth at all to the rumors that Napoli might be about to commit a great folly <laughs> by signing him in January?
4: I would say never say never because it's Arele De Laurentiis and he is a filmmaker and he has made no sort of, um, he's not in his life and in his career been one of sort of stepping away from a chance to drum up some headlines. But I also don't expect it at the moment. I think Napoli are quite aware that they've got together a, a group that is genuinely capable of achieving something. And the feeling in that group right now is is quite something. And so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect it. I think the other thing to say with De Laurentiis, he's a showman. He's done ridiculous things all of his career. He's unveiled players in lion masks on yachts. He's done things to to get your attention. But actually the one thing he hasn't done is blow his money. Napoli have been consistently one of the most fiscally well-run ships in Serie A. He tends to turn a profit. So unless he sees very good reasons for the bottom line for signing Ronaldo, I don't think it'll happen.
3: Yeah, I remember when... Did he once present a a player wearing... Yeah, yeah, I I remember it now. So he presented a player uh, at a press conference, De Laurentiis, wearing like a lion's mask. uh, and, And then the mask was taken off. And it was Gökhan Inler, which was yes. the sort of yeah. <laughs> that's a slight climax really. I guess it's like, wow, we've signed this great this lion and it's Gökhan Inler. It's just kind of an okay-ish central midfielder. Very, very strange <laughs> behavior.
2: Um, it's getting getting Lee Catamol in a lion, yeah. lion mask, isn't it? Which <laughs> is,
3: I mean, I, ironically, what we did for a live show once. I mean, you 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 made the big joke about the last guest being to be announced. And, and then the guest was brought on uh, onto stage uh, wearing a horse's head so no one saw yeah. who it was, and then the horse's head was removed, and it was me, which I think was very similar to the Gokhan Inler presentation.
2: Sounds like a better idea at the time. The people who bought tickets about 10 minutes ago are probably going, if that's the sort of crap we're going to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, well, I
3: mean, <laughs> the, the crowd at the time seemed to enjoy it, but they may have been very drunk. I'm not quite sure. Um, <laughs> on Ronaldo, I mean, him going to Napoli... I thought he would be leaving United because he wants to play football and not be on the bench. I mean, if he goes to Napoli, he's clearly not better than Victor Ossiman. I'd probably pick both Raspadori and and Giovanni Simeone ahead of him because you get people who work for the team at least. So, I mean, he wouldn't – I don't think he'd – never mind all the dressing room dynamics and him sort of exploding the good atmosphere and everything. He's not getting into the team if everyone's fit.
2: Uh, All right, that'll do for part two. Uh, Nikki, you have to leave us.
4: I do. I'm sorry. I've got a train to run for
2: absolute outrage but that's fine thank you for your time appreciate it
4: <laughs> anytime
2: uh, me Barry Lars will stick about look ahead to the games in the Premier League and any other business welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly uh, we are nominated for the Football Supporters Association Podcast of the Year go to the fsa.org.uk uh, there's a big page that says Awards. Click on that link. You'll go to a Survey Monkey page. Click Football Weekly under Podcast of the Year. You know, you get all these for nothing. Do something so Barry at the awards can have a nice time. And when I land in the UK, I can turn my phone on to some happy news. Um, and there are lots of other people who you will know. Robin Cowan, David Squires, Barney Ronay, Susie Rack. Um, the warm-up on Talk Sport feels slightly rude to ask for nominations for that while we're here. But Barry... <laughs> Sod it. Why not? Um, yeah, why not? <laughs> we'd like to win both and then we will shut up about it. Or not, depending on how we get on. Um, Chelsea 1-8-0 against Vlaznia in uh, an Albanian team uh, who've never been managed by Unai Emery despite almost having Villa in their name. Uh, Sam Kerr scored four. Pinala Harder got a hat-trick. Uh, all the details of that and everything's going on in WSL on the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Three weeks of the Premier League to go before... The World Cup, uh, the fixtures this weekend. I don't know if any of them jump out at you, Barry. Uh, Leicester Man City, the early one. For some reason, I feel Leicester might do something in that game. Um,
0: well, it's possible. <laughs> I don't think they will, but, uh, All right. you know. I, but, uh, no, I don't
2: see it myself, but stranger things have happened. Maybe it's more hope than uh, expectation. Um, yes, Lars?
3: Leicester in their last two games have scored six goals from five shots on target.
2: So they're efficient.
3: Uh, which I, if, if they continue with <laughs> this sort of efficiency, I mean, this, this could be bad for City. Don't necessarily even need to concede a shot for Leicester to score. It, 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 football is a really silly game sometimes. All the struggles Leicester have had uh, and all the bad results and Brendan Rodgers being under pressure. And then they've had two wins to really turn everything around. And but it's been like that bit in Indiana Jones where, where the man is like twiddling his sword around and, and, and Harrison Ford just shoots him. I mean, that, that was really what happened in Wolves because <laughs> Wolves like had had twenty-one shots to Leicester's five, and Leicester ended up winning 4 0 It was ridiculous.
0: I think if I was going to pick an upset, I'd go maybe Bournemouth to beat Spurs or Brighton to beat
2: Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, Graham Potter going mm. back to the Amex, see what reception he gets. Liverpool playing Leeds, uh, a late kickoff on Saturday, seven forty-five in the evening. It's an odd time, you know. That's when st- you know it's strictly time. Isn't it for everyone? Although, you know, after my Coldplay admission, Barry, I'm not going to admit to watching Strictly. I've never got into that. Now, uh, the Socceroos, Australia, uh, the first FIFA World Cup side to release a collective statement of protest against Qatar's human rights record, calling for effective remedy for migrant workers, the decriminalisation of same-sex relationships. The video message was delivered line by line by 16 players, supported by the broader Australian playing group, been followed up by Football Australia saying the suffering felt by workers and their families has has been caused by the tournament cannot be ignored. Uh, it's a strong statement isn't it Barry? I know we've been doing some specials that are going to come out before and during the World Cup. So uh, it is sort of really on our minds at the moment and should be on everyone's minds before we go into the tournament. It is from my point of view it's great to see a team actually talking to everybody, doing their research and coming out with something this strong.
0: Yeah, and it was very balanced, measured thoughtful approach, uh, very carefully worded. They said, you know, they alluded to the progress that has been made with regards to the abolition of the kafala system, but those reforms aren't necessarily being implemented properly. Uh, they said that everyone should be in a union, whether they're footballers or builders in migrant workers in Qatar, And they said that they don't have all the answers and, uh, they they connected labor rights with gay rights and um proposed solutions. And we we recorded a special yesterday, which will be coming out at some point before the World Cup, in which it was pointed out FIFA have a legal obligation to recompense these workers who, you know, bereaved families of, of migrant workers who've died. So um yeah, but I, I was looking at, at the statement on Twitter and one of the first comments I saw underneath was that it was woke virtue signaling bullshit. So, you know, you can't win. And then a lot of people were saying, oh, but you're still going to the World Cup. Why don't you pull out of it? Why don't you boycott it? And, you know, I I don't think that's helpful. But uh, it, was, it was great to see them do. And I imagine in the whole corridors of power in a lot of, International federations of teams that are participating in the World Cup finals, they'll now be going, oh, God, we better do something. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next.
2: Yeah, and look, it's brave to be the first, right? And and what you hope is the FA, the FA, the Welsh FA, all the other associations around the world look at this because, you know, it, it, as a collective, it means much more, right? If just Australia do it, then, you know, Qatar will go, do you know what, we've we'll probably got away with that. I think, I think if the Aussies end up being the only
0: team to do, I can, I can look forward to seeing a lot of bad decisions going against
2: them in their group state matches. <laughs> Saying Antonio Conte will be talking about honesty again. Uh, we shall see, won't we? Um, Adam says, question for Lars. My friend is moving to Stockholm in January and has chosen Jurgarden as, ado- as his adopted team. Has he made a wise decision?
3: So it's hard to answer that without knowing stuff like in wearing- town because there's like local geography reasons right I think I I think my instinct would be maybe personally to be a little bit more drawn towards Hamaby, but but Jude Garan are a very well supported team and uh, yeah uh, I, I'm i sure he'll be very happy but I, I, I it does matter a little bit where in town you're from I think.
2: Uh, Gareth says how many goals will Posh beat Cambridge by in the Cambridgeshire derby it's the first one in the league for maybe two decades Peterborough versus Cambridge United. It's the biggest derby in world football at London Road. I'm absolutely terrified. Like They're better, they're, you know, they've got a bigger wage bill. They're better players than us. They're doing better in the league. But we are, you know, we are the mighty Cambridge United, you know. It's, uh... <laughs> please don't. Please win. Just please win. Dion scored a hat-trick in a 5-1 win and that's, that's what I'm hoping happens this Saturday. Although, he doesn't play for us still, but you know, get him back for this one. Yeah, I shouldn't. Be, come on, I should be more bullish about it, but yeah, I'm nervous, Gareth. And not made the best team win. I hope we shit house you like we did Wickham. Uh, uh, M says a moment for Neil Cugley resigned as manager of Folkestone Invicta. 1,299 games in charge, his 26th season, making him the longest-serving manager in the pyramid. When football at the top can be quite cynical, it's people like Neil who remind you how delightful the game can be. Good luck to you, Neil, in whichever club you decide to go to, or maybe if you decide to hang up your boots or your clipboard, that is some stint, isn't it? And uh, Paul says, after Max's Coldplay bombshell yesterday, has anyone checked in on John Bruin? Listen, I've no time for music snobs here. You can like what you like and enjoy what you enjoy. And, you know, It's a game of opinions.
3: I I dare you to say that when when Bruin is on the Zoom.
2: (laughs) I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Uh, That'll do for today. Cheers, Barry. Thanks, Max. Uh, Thanks, Lars. Thank you, Max. Uh, Football Weekly is produced by Silas Gray. Executive producer is Max Sanderson. We'll be back on that